Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC Flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's I'm Amazing Radio. I'm Dr. Law. Kid Presentable's here. Hey, yo. Lavender Gooms is here. Hey, guys. DJ Mark is here also, folks. Greetings. I like that. Yeah. So, um, guys, not to just... I'm, I'm, I'm not to word it exactly how the boys at the Co-Main Event Podcast do, but uh, there's nothing fucking going on this week, which is my favorite type of MMA week these days, folks. Gives me time to think about what's coming up. Gives me time to get excited. Like today, Steepavers DC popped in my mind. All right. Not just popped in my mind. There was a reason. I was talking to Mark about it. But still, it made me think about a fight that's coming up. And I was like excited for it. And it's months away. And I know I'll get excited leading up to it. Regardless, I'm rambling. Um, Today on the show, we're going to talk about some fight news. We're going to talk about other fight news. I'm going to remember what they are shortly. We're doing a little memoirs of a fight fan. It's probably going to be a little bit of a longer stuff we like. Though, fuck, all I did was watch uh, Shit's Creek all weekend. So mine would be the same as last week. Um, first off, we got ourselves a fake title fight, apparently. Uh, My favorite kind. And this is, I'm putting this out there first because I guess I got to eat a bit of crow here, Marcus. Because I was trying to point out how this Covington shit's just not working out for him. And how, like, the champion doesn't want to fight him. So, like, where's the payoff here? There's no charm to his racism, which the more I think about it, that's a weird argument to make. But there's no charm to his racism. Um, and then it comes out that, you know, Tyra Woodley, who fought, who had four title fights in eight months, nine months, hasn't fought since July, though, or I think end of July, beginning of August, his last fight. He's been out with a shoulder injury. He can't come back till beginning of July. But the UFC is like, nah, man, we need a title fight. For the 175 pound, 170 pound belt now. So in May, we're gonna get um, Rafael dos Anjos, the rightful number one contender, against Colby Covington in Brazil. Marcus, I'm gonna go to you first. Shit, man, you were right. I guess it worked well enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this week we can talk about him legitimately, not just about his antics. And I'm sure, I'm sure, Bobby, that's exactly what played into it. He's like, you know, he's not very good. He's not going to push the needle. But goddamn, does he get those headlines every week? This podcast that no one listens to, but I, Dana White, listen to because I he probably listens to every MMA podcast just to see if they talk about him. He's just like fucking Trump. But uh, no, I mean, I, he, he's somewhat deserving, right? I mean, he has a, a decent amount of wins, and he did beat Damien Maya, who was you know fought for a title. I don't think personally this fight excites me that much, but it's kind of one of those things where you can't really deny Covington to some extent, right? I mean, uh, what what win streak is he on now? Is it like four or five? It's up there. I'm going to go with five while yeah, I we're not gonna look, look this up. up. I'll, really- I'll look it up, but let's work with the assumption of five. Marcus, continue, yeah. please. Um, and, and, our, and RDA has done a great job since moving to uh, welterweight. So, I mean, for me, I, I don't know how the, how the rest of you feel. It's not a super intriguing fight. And when 
Bobby broke the news to me that it was an interim fight. I didn't even know Woodley was hurt. I just thought this was more UFC kind of bullshit, which it kind of is, right? Because Woodley hasn't been on the shelf that long. He's one like, of the more. He's honestly one of the most active champions. Yeah, um, I mean, it used to be like if a dude, you know, if uh, Aldo didn't fight for two years or Cruz didn't fight for two years, they're finally like, all right, we'll do an interim belt. But you know, they're much quicker to. to well, I mean, let's uh, let's um, Stefan, let's get some context here of some of the reasons they may have done this. Um, one is uh, Ariel pointed out that pretty much nobody at 170 wanted to fight anybody else at 170 uh, until the belt situation was sorted out. And he made it seem like maybe they had to just put a belt on the line and get anybody to agree to a fight. But the second part of it, Steph, is that we got a main event on that card of Amanda Nunez, um, who famously pulled out of a fight, I think, the day before, day or two days before, maybe, when she was going to fight Shevchenko. Um, and the other end of it is Raquel Pennington, who got a broken goddamn leg, and she's coming back, first fight back from that. So maybe this is a bit of insurance um, policy. Knowing that, does that give you any more justification for this fake-ass belt? Uh, of course not. Um, I'm just totally resigned to it at this point, right? This is just, this is the UFC business plan. They need belts. They, they We know what this is. It's a number one contender fight. It's weird because Tyron Woodley publicly says he wants to fight two months after this belt is going to go on the line, which, you know, kind of that's normally like, well, you may as well just fight the champion. But we can't call it a number one contendership fight anymore because everything has to be a belt. You know, Ariel, he always like kind of bangs the drum of, well, interim belts get fighters more money. So ultimately, I'm not mad at it. But fuck Colby Covington. So uh, this, this <laughs> belt is stupid. Ah. You know, normally I'm on the side of uh, fight or pay, but, like, it's just bad taste after bad taste. Like, I don't know what you're doing, UFC. Oh, I mean, this is a good part here. Um, Mike, if you had to put money on it, is Tyron Woodley fighting the winner of this fight next, or is he going to end up fighting somebody else at the beginning of July? Uh, Well, considering when this fight is, uh, no. Uh, the timing doesn't really work out that the winner of this fight is going to be able to turn around and fight uh, Tyron Woodley. I mean, unless the guy just comes out completely unhurt. Um, you know, I mean, Mike. I, I, I mean, Mike. Is- sorry, to, but like, I mean, I'm like in my head. I got the scenario where this fight happens, and because, quite frankly, um, they're two tough guys, and they're hard to put away. Both of them. Actually, I don't know about Covington. I don't know if he's got losses or not. But RDA, it took uh, Eddie Alvarez. I mean, hitting him 750 times to put him down. Um, there's a real possibility we're going to book this fight. There's going to be a winner. And then the UFC is going to book Tyron Woodley against somebody else and just be like, well, we can't book him against, uh, let's say RDA. We can't book him against RDA. RDA just fought. Like this will somehow be a justification for like some random Tyron Woodley versus somebody exciting fight. Which that's why it doesn't really make sense why they're making this an interim title belt. Um, if this is supposed to be for the number one contendership, I, I, okay, I'm sorry, for the interim title, and this is supposed to be the next guy that Woodley fights, why not just wait two or three months when Woodley will be healthy and just have RDA fight him? Unless this is just their way of just trying to string along some of these numbered USCs, put some belts on it, and just try to fix things in the short term Besides i mean, the, that, well, I mean mike I we also it. heard this week we heard some shit that like uh the, the demetrius johnson versus tj dillashaw fight was dead because uh demetrius is hurt which 
I mean, that's been the case for a couple months now. And it's really what Dana White was saying was like, we can't get Demetrius to fight in May or, you know, sooner because Demetrius wants to be on a supercard in July. So, like, I think they just need somebody to fight, period. Everybody seems like all their champions are just, like, playing hardball with them. It seems like they just need to book fucking anything. You know, I, I, I remember before they used to have main events for the numbered UFCs that didn't have titles. That wasn't the worst thing in the world. I mean, it's been a while. I don't remember. You guys, does anybody remember the last time there was just no belt, not even a fake belt? I can't remember, but I don't think it was. I don't know as the loudest motorcycle drives by. I don't know if they've done one since the new ownership, but I feel like they have. I well, can't, I, I, feel, can't recall it. I feel it's also in a world where the cards have been as thin as they've been. I mean, and motherfuckers are trying to beg people to pay for this shit. You got to, I mean, I guess this is me partly making their argument, but you got to give us something to pay money. You got to differentiate this from the other two fight cards you're putting out I th- there. I think if the question is, though, can, could they put on a, a pay-per-view card that didn't have a title fight that'd be worthy of the money? I think they can. I think the roster Lesnar? is is deep enough that they can get enough name value, fun fights strung together to get us interested. I don't know if it has a larger fan base would be interested. Anderson you know, with, versus with, Nick. Hey, Anderson versus Nick. Yeah, that would be a great that, main event. No, I mean, no that, that, that was what I'm saying. I'm saying they booked. Remember, Anderson versus Nick happened. Oh, there was no, oh, okay. there was no belt on the line. That one's the most recent How long one. Ago I, was that though? That was a long time ago. And when did you ask him? <laughs> when did you book that fight? I was gonna. I mean, Anderson's been tested. I mean, isn't like five years? Isn't Nick getting close to the five year suspension? He didn't end up having to do because no. he's just at the club drinking. No. I mean, I know Brock. I mean, uh, Brock and Alistar. Brock versus anybody, they'll make us pay money for. So I think part of what it's what you said with. Uh, kind of Ariel alluded to with welterweight it's um you can't get any of these top guys to want to fight each other either um everyone wants a payday now right we've seen the trickle down economics of conor mcgregorism uh everyone wants a payday and without that big payday no one wants to fight anybody and no one gets a big payday without a fake belt on the line so we got to make those up um, i think it's also the sale not just conor mcgregor part of it there's four yeah billion well, dollars. i mean the sale put a number to it right yeah. so it kind of validated everything conor mcgregor was preaching about and um you know they, they, again they were having a discussion about like because you know uh, dana white is trying to get into his own boxing promotion and they worry about if boxing pays more that everyone's going to want to jump over it's a very monkey see monkey do kind of like league in terms of copycatism but i, I think that's a, that's been part of it everyone wants more than they think they're getting and because of that no one wants to fight anyone and because of that we don't have any stars the stars are all standing pat um we're not really building any new stars because well i'm making these bad cards that no one wants to watch i'm just i'm trying to hold out hope for this young generation boom we've seen in recent months but just don't fuck it up man please like well i mean let's talk about another fight i guess so we got into here with the welterweight division we got ourselves a main event for ufc liverpool and uh, they kind of went with, uh, I mean, not kind of, they went with exactly what Stefan wanted. Um, not exactly what I wanted personally. Not that I'm not excited for this fight, but they booked uh, Wonderboy Thompson versus Darren Till. Um, Stefan, this kind of reminds me of an uh, older UFC model of booking it, which is like, oh, you think you're good? Here you go, motherfucker. This guy's ranked number three. Let's see if you can beat him in your hometown. Like, I it's, mean, yeah, I think it's a real trial by fire. Some of the knock on the fight is people might think this be might be a bit much for Darren Till, but this is Darren Till's strength. 
and that's why I wanted this match. You know, um, killing Darren Till is putting up him up against like a high end grinder, which, as much as I'm loath to say, is why Colby Covington is the one matchup I didn't want here. You know, to me, that's a lose lose scenario. Is you're either just elevating a guy that's not very interesting to watch in the first place, or you are propelling a guy who's pretty goddamn exciting. And you know what? That was like a year ago. I was probably saying the same thing about Wonder Boy. You know, Wonder Boy was exciting as hell. He had two duds of a fight against Tyron Woodley. Um, I mean, the first one, it's just he got rocked. And when I say duds, it's more so that, like, I don't conceivably see him getting another shot, and I don't conceivably see you taking the belt from the guy. But yeah, the second fight was second fight was awful. So. Second fight was awful. First one, he just fought stupid. It seemed like after a certain point, he fought timid. He he didn't want to kick because he couldn't defend the takedown off of that kick, um, which almost was his undoing. So it maybe wasn't that bad of an anxiety. But you know, the way I see this fight is you're either launching Darren Till into superstardom, or you're getting a very exciting fighter in his own right back on track because. Wonder Boy kind of just existing in purgatory, that's not been good for his career, you know. Um, MMA, unfortunately, is a very what-have-you-done-for-me-lately, and one of the most exciting welterweights of the last several years suddenly stopped being on anyone's mind because of that dud rematch, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I I texted you guys when the fight got booked. I was like, in terms of, like, a matchup, um, I got my rankings in my head of fights coming up, and after Cormier and Stipe and Holloway and Ortega... This fight is like I've circled the goddamn calendar. This sounds like it's going to be a hell of a fight, Marcus. Uh, don't you? I mean, the matchup between these two. Woo. Yeah, no, it's really cool. It's a really fun matchup, and I mean, it, it's going to be a, st- a stiff test for uh, Darren Till. But I mean, you know, it, it, it is it is of the old school mentality of, of sink or swim. You know, if this guy's really going to be something, he has to you know get past guys like Wonder Boy. Um, I wouldn't have been against. I mean, I think we all thought he would get an easier fight and they would showcase him in his hometown. But instead, he's getting a tough test, you know, and it could be a bad night for him. Right. If he goes out there and he loses in front of his home, you know, his home country um, and it sets him back a little bit or it could be a massive coming out party. Right. I mean, he beats Wonder Boy. He's basically in title contention immediately. So um, it really depends on what happens in this fight, because I think if Wonder Boy does when you're kind of in that scenario where now, you know, you have a number three guy that just beat a, a hot contender. But if Woodley is still a champion after the, the dust settles between this interim belt, a Woodley Wonder Boy three is, is a tough sell. You know, I mean, I think for me personally, I'm not very interested in that fight. We saw it twice. And the first fight was, you know, a little bit more exciting, but they didn't really get my my blood pumping. And I don't think them running it back for a third time does much for me. But at the same time, can you really deny Wonder Boy if he's ranked three and holds that position against all comers? It's kind of like you can't deny the guy. Um, so it's tough. You know, it, it, it's a tough thing. I think we, we've been in this position before with prospects and them getting matched with guys that if that other guy wins, it doesn't do much for the division. It's kind of a, a win-lose scenario. You either, you either have Till come out of this and he's superstar, he's the next contender, or you have Wonder Boy win and it's just like, oh, we killed a contender and we have this guy that it's going to be tough to sell another title fight with them. So I think it, it, it's an interesting choice that they went here. But like Steph said, if they would have brought in Covington and Covington just grounded Till, that would have sucked too, right? But at least in that scenario, Covington's a fresh matchup for Woodley. So we'll see. We'll I see mean, how the dust settles. I think uh, I'm going to go to Mike in a minute, though. Where the fuck did he go? Um, I, uh, well, I, I just want to chime in then if we're lacking Mike. Um I think by ultimately them having booked Covington and RDA, 
it's okay for Till to lose momentum here. They're, they they kind of bought time with that. It gives him breathing room, right? Man, I didn't think he was that close. I mean, I know he beat Cerrone, and it was a big win, but I was just like, I don't, I didn't, I mean, it almost reminded me of Max Holloway, where, like, he was beating all these guys, but we're like, let's just, like, wait a minute, guys. Like, let's just enjoy ourselves here. Um, I just want to point out, I feel our opinion of the first Wonder Boy Woodley fight is greatly affected by what happened in the second Wonder Boy Woodley fight, because that was a good fight, and it won fight of the night. And it gave us the wonderful image of the slow-mo of Woodley punching Thompson in the face. And we, he got the weird derp face going on there, too. That's just a side note, no. I mean, it was I actually... It kind of feels like the second fight just kind of picked up yeah. exactly where the first one left off. And you're like, no one's made any adjustments. Well, nothing happened in the last, like... There's like a last round or two of that fight, Woodley and Thompson. Nobody really did anything. And then, like, this fight, five rounds, nobody did anything. So I think you made a good point there where just kind of, like, nobody learned anything here. Yeah, I mean, in a rematch, the excitement of a rematch is you're expecting to see a different outcome or at least a different strategy, right? You know, I thought, like, honestly, I almost put that mostly on Maybe it's just being a Woodley goddamn apologist that I am. But on the second fight, I was really like, Wonder Boy has to come up with something new to do here, right? Because the first fight, it didn't work. Woodley figured out to, like, he could time him. And then Wonder Boy didn't do anything in the second fight at all different. Like, he somehow did less. That was a disappointing point for me, at least. I know. I totally agree. You know, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't watched either fight, but yeah, just overall yeah. in my mind, I think the overarching narrative of that fight is just like Woodley pressing the action. And by pressing, I mean he's getting Wonder Boy against the cage, not grappling him against the cage, just pressuring him against the cage. And ultimately, multiple rounds of really little action happening. I mean, yeah, you're right. The first round, you had a great round with Woodley just, you know, sl- clubbing him down and then getting him on the ground and just beating the shit out of him. But a lot of that excitement just kind of got erased with the the rounds in between where, like, mostly nothing happened. Then you had another fight where basically nothing happened. So, yeah, I mean, for me, it just doesn't it doesn't do much for me. So having Wonder Boy in a scenario where he's still going to be potentially, you know, when this all settles, he beats Till. Maybe he has another fight before already the interim fights Woodley. And maybe, you know, we get a new contender out of that. I mean, but why, why, why are we trying to even sign logic to this thing? Nothing. They don't know how to line up a true. title. And, just and we'll, somebody... see. we'll see who wins and what matchups come. Because, I mean, if Covington has the belt, then him and Wonderboy makes a lot of sense. Or RDA. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot yeah. of balls in the air that do- doesn't make this the dooms- doomsday scenario I think could happen. But it, it's 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 possible we could have another Woodley Wonderboy 3. And this doesn't excite me. Yeah, Mike, um, I want to get into this with you. Another booking that was announced, and we actually got a bunch of news all at once here, is that uh, Cub Swanson, who fought the last fight of his UFC deal when he got beat by Brian Ortega, I want to say like five, six months, maybe five months ago. I don't remember how long even. Whenever that Fresno card was, Marcus, that we didn't go to. Um, December. In December is when Cub Swanson fought his last fight, and it wasn't a great way to go out getting getting beat up by... uh, Brian Ortega. Um, Cub Swanson re-signs with the UFC. The UFC is going to Atlantic City in six weeks, seven weeks. Uh, No, six weeks, I think. Um, And Cub Swanson is going to run back a fight with Frankie Edgar, a fight that happened November 2014, which seems longer ago than it really feels like, because we all remember that fight. I remember that was a fight that he got worked. Oh, it was an ass-whooping. It was Frankie beat his ass for five rounds and then choked him in the last seconds. So a couple notes. One, this is an Atlantic City, so we know why this is happening with Frankie, but why are we getting this fight again? 
Two, how do you feel about Frankie Edgar, who got knocked unconscious for the first time in his career um, a week ago or whatever? He's basically, Frankie's fighting seven weeks after he got knocked out, clean, KO'd. Um, a man who took a lot of damage in his career, first time ever getting knocked out. He's fighting Cup, fighting Cup Swanson. What do you think of the matchup, and what do you think about, I mean, how do you feel about Frankie fighting again this soon? Well, I didn't exactly hear the end of your question because of my beautiful internet. But um, I think the way I feel about the fight uh, first is bewilderment into how someone who got knocked knocked out cold is actually able to fight in two months. Uh, I could have sworn there were these little things called uh, medical suspensions that I guess those just go out the window. Basically, but we yes. saw that happen with Michael Bisping a few months ago as well. Where yeah, I was gonna say, man, out and and he that was about so- to fight again very soon. Yeah, and um, also to me, the social shows that if you're not making a lot—I mean, I think we are—we already knew this, but if you are not a champion, and sometimes even then that doesn't matter, or if you're not making a lot of money for the UFC, they really don't give a fuck. I mean. Cub Swanson fighting a guy after he got knocked out in his last fight, fighting a guy who decisively whooped his ass in, in the last time they fought. And even on Frankie Edgar's side, I mean, this is just no regard for his health. Uh, they just really don't give a fuck. They're like, well, I mean, AC, Frankie, you're good to go. I'm just hoping. I mean, New Jersey's supposed to have this good athletic commission. So, I mean, look. Uh, my, my, you put out Michael Bisping, Mike. Another one was because Michael Bisping knocked out before. Michael Bisping gets hit in every fight on some level. Um, Frankie had never been knocked out before. One that stuck out to me is when um, Frankie was involved in this. When Frankie fought Chad Mendez, and that was that was like four months. That wasn't even that long. It was like I mean that was four months after the fact. But Chad Mendez got knocked out by Conor McGregor. First time anybody ever knocked out Chad Mendes in... Actually, no. That's not even true. Aldo need his head off. But I don't think... Mendes hadn't been knocked out in years. He comes back and Frankie Edgar clean KOs a man. Like Frankie not one hitter quitter comes uh, Chad Mendes. Where I'm sitting there like, uh, what happened? Like, that's the type of shit where like... Like if Frankie goes out there... Like what happened to uh, Michael Bisping, Stefan? When uh, Michael Bisping fought Gastelum? Like... Three weeks after the fact. And we talked about it before the show. Like, we all know Gastelum's really good, but if he goes out there and knocks out Bisping in two minutes, what what am I supposed to think? This I mean, is this it's again. Hard, it's hard to say. It's such a hindsight 2020 thing, you know, um, for those examples where, yeah, like, oh, this was clearly a bad idea. Look at the times I've been wrong. Other life-altering knockout moments that I miscalled was uh, the Jose Aldo, the famous rematch against Frankie Edgar, where, like, Oh, Aldo just got knocked out by Conor McGregor in seconds. He's broken. He's a shattered man. He'll never be the same. And then he just thoroughly dominates Frankie Edgar in his comeback. You know, um, I thought Daniel Cormier, I thought, you know, like I thought it was going to be very interesting, his fight after John Jones, because that head kick, the emotional, like psychological and physical toll it took on DC that night, maybe he he gets cracked by uh, Odomir. It didn't happen, you know. So we're we're it's it's when we're right it seems obvious and when we're wrong we're pretty wrong sometimes <laughs> like we always reference that Aldo pick so it, it's tough to say 
Um, I'm I don't feel super concerned because it's Cub Swanson, and what he did against Cub Swanson is he grounded the f out of him. Um, Cub Swanson has a very clear weakness, and it's grappling. Um, he's just he he he's not that he's incapable, but that he kind of has a ceiling against better grapplers in the division. So I guess you know Cub is a he he he's known for his striking. But he was so clearly unable to hit Frankie that first time around. That's why I don't necessarily feel nervous about this one. By the way, Chad Mendez, who got a two-year suspension, um, he can actually fight again in June. And honestly, I'm excited to see him come back. Because the featherweight division is a totally different world. Like, I don't think, off the top of my head, I don't think Max Holloway's ever faced Chad Mendez, for example. Chad Mendez never faced... Ryan Ortega. I'm not I don't think Chad has faced Cub. Chad hasn't faced a lot of these guys. So um he would be a welcome addition back. Assuming, you know, he's still gonna fight. Don't know why he wouldn't, though. Um Was there any other I'm trying to think what the MMA news was this past week. Um, I don't I wanna know I don't know if I would call this news or not, but I know you guys would probably get a, a chuckle out of this. Uh our favorite hanger-on of uh, SBG Jim told, uh, you know, he's fighting in UFC 223 in uh, New York, New York. What you got to say who this is. Mr. Artem Lobov. Mm. Uh, he told MMA Junkie, and let me just pull up the quote for you right quick because I lost it. Oh, he said that a sub 500 record represents a true fighter, a real fighter. Okay, I saw this. I think a true fighter is just—I don't know, man. What I mean, this he's means? Describing- look, I look, look. He, he's trying. He, I mean, I think what he's trying to say is that he stands and bangs, and we appreciate that on some level. But he's just bad. Like, okay, bad. He's not good. That's no, not a true. It's just five hundred record is yeah is is you could say bad or not good. Yeah. I mean, not good enough. The verb is journeyman, and <laughs> hey, as someone who loves journeyman, you know that's it's not like the worst place in the world to be, you know. But it's nothing to be particularly proud of either. I mean, at the end of your career, you can say like, man, I had a lot of wars, and you know, I put my heart out there, and I, I really left it for the fans, and that's great, and that's awesome. But you can't really say definitively like. I left a mark on the sport. Oh, also, like, I mean, I don't think it's necessary for us to, like, look. Let me go to the most egregious example of this. You're not going to tell me that Artem Lobov is any more of a fighter than Ben Askren. Ben Askren doesn't lose. Ben Askren has some, a lot of fights. People find a lot of his fights fucking boring because he just takes a guy down and grinds him out a lot of times. But you know what? You're not going to convince me Artem Lobov is any more of a real fighter than this other guy. We don't need to demonize the dude to fight boring. In terms of like their their status as real fighters, we can point them out as boring and not entertaining, and that's fine. Doesn't make you any less of a fighter. That's a stupid fucking comment. I agree. I think it's just a slow news week because all yeah. this was was uh, it's called spin, called <laughs> making the best of a bad situation. And we broke it down. That's it's like that's a that cycle. We are. I mean, that's, that's, that's a fair point, Stephon. You're like the guy's a bad the guy's a bad record. What the fuck do you want him to say? I suck. That is true, and also I guess when you have when when wait what do you say fourteen and fifteen, um, at least you could try to say you know 
there's a little wiggle room in his words of true fighter, a real fighter. That doesn't necessarily mean he's a good fighter. Hey, man, he's I, a real fighter. Well, I will, uh, actually, I, I, it just came to mind. Um, Mark was saying, you know, this record, you can't really say you left a mark on the sport. Kevin Randleman. Kevin Randleman left a big mark on this sport. And he had that 500 record. And he had uh, the last fight I saw him was the very unfortunate uh, one against uh, Hodger Gracie, where he both tapped to the choke and then went out to the choke. That was as bad as I guess. Oh, <laughs> You know, uh, I'm not trying to bag on him. Look, we should just honestly, we should just shave off the last one. One person that actually has around a 500 record who we would say is a good fighter is Mark Hunt. Yeah, I mean, I, I, feel, Mar- I feel Mark Hunt wasn't trying until the first, <laughs> for the first eight fights. <laughs> I don't think Mark Hunt took it seriously until everybody got on board with him, almost. M- m- maybe the, the win-loss isn't the, the, the best marker to judge a guy's career, right? Because you can, you can look at Kevin and say, like, yeah, he, you know, sub-500 record, but, like, he also was at, like, the upper echelon of the sport, right? Like, he... Held belts. He fought the toughest guys. You can't really say that about Artem. You know, <laughs> Artem, Artem, Artem. Honestly, Artem is just an action fighter, a yeah, one that will lose a lot. You know, and that's fine. Just, just it doesn't make other people not real fun because Artem does shit where he complains about other guys wrestling and shit. Where I'm like, motherfucker, it's called mixed martial arts. If you can't stop them from doing it, that's your fault. Like, yeah. you can complain that the fight was boring, but it doesn't diminish anything else about what happened there. Um, okay, we're just rambling at this fucking point, so we can just move on with our. Uh, with our day, let's do uh, let's do memoirs of a fight fan. Which Marcus was it your idea? No, it was Stefan. Steph's. Stefan, your idea. Why don't you give the folks? Stefan comes through with these, by the way, more often than not. You other two got to step up a little bit. I'm Stefan's a, got a, like seventy percent of the man's type of fan. Granted, so Stefan also thinking about things. And what was I thinking about? Disappointment. You know, what's like Stefan? Things lately. Before I just want to point out, by the way, Stefan invented this segment, so he damn sure better come up with fucking topics go um, ahead <laughs> yeah you know i'm honestly i i'm i'm piggybacking off of a conversation you know we saw some of our other favorite, favorite mma journals cover um but it raised a good question you know and we've watched mma for a while and you know we got big fights coming up but uh a lot of big fights coming up i think you if you listen to us you know we we are we're kind of hesitant sometimes because a lot of big fights have not always come to fruition as we hope for one reason or another so um the topic this week was like hey what were what were some of the biggest fights that never were in our opinion you know the ones that people talked up the ones we kind of got excited for we let ourselves believe in and then whether it was a weight issue a timing issue an injury issue that that shit just never happened um okay stuff on you got one for the lead off uh, this is going to be just a rambling stream of all of us sure. as we um, yeah i mean again we've we've talked about this with a lot of memoirs uh the power of hindsight kind of changes the your it colors your opinion on a lot of these things so the best you can do is try to remember where you were at the time um and for me you know anderson silva being one of the greats of all time um for a long time his supposed nemesis was george saint pierre but that fight never really really interested me because in my head i'm like george is just way too small um him whomping bisping years later maybe that wasn't the case necessarily or maybe him immediately turning over the belt means it was um but that said the fight that got pitched around as well i I guess maybe this is a little stretch because i'm not sure how ever close it came to fruition but um in this current landscape of big paydays and people wanting to fight the biggest names i think it might have had a chance of happening um and that's anderson silva john jones um john jones you know, Alexander Gustafson 
proved to be the biggest test of his career. Daniel Cormier was his biggest rival. But peak Anderson Silva was the one person I wanted to see what's John Jones got for this. Maybe he just grounds him with his wrestling. But, you know, like that that's probably would have been the outcome I picked. But I was curious as hell because John Jones was still the dynamic striker. He was throwing the spin and stuff. He was throwing the elbows. So I wanted to see that. To me, those were the two greatest fighters of all time. And I wanted to see that. And then they started becoming friends, you know, and then Anderson well, doesn't want to move weight classes. And then Anderson starts failing all the drug tests and John Jones starts failing all the drug tests. And then, yeah. So, <laughs> you know what? Maybe Bellator you know what? 300. We're not drug testing. We do John Jones versus Anderson Silva. Why not? But um, for me, that that was just – it's a hypothetical match we kind of discussed. It was kind of in the zeitgeist. And that would have been – Well, do you know what's interesting – Steph was, I remember this was years ago when Joe Rogan had Dana White on his podcast and Dana said, I have to make that fucking fight. He says, if he says before I leave this earth, he says something like that, like I have to make Anderson versus John Jones. Like that was Dana's thing. Like I have to make that. And I think that was like three months before Anderson got uh, molly whopped by Chris Weidman. I mean, yeah, um, if, if they had maintained their trajectories and their domination, if you put those guys against each other, how excited would people have been? You know? That would have been fucking sick. Um, that would have been so cool. I got a few. They're kind of random. Um, I'm going to need Marcus's help for one of these a little bit, where probably. But first off, I, for years, talked about how much I wanted to see um, Randy Couture versus Leota Machida. Like, pretty much from the minute Machida showed up in the UFC, I thought how cool it would be to see Randy Couture try to figure out that style. And a lot of you are saying, Bobby, you fucking idiot, that fight happened. Um I remember that fight happened. It happened at UFC 129. I remember watching it with Mike, and I'm sure Mike has no memory of this. But I remember I was telling him, uh, Randy's like half a step too slow. And I remember like in my head right now, in my head, honestly, prime Randy Couture versus Leota Machida. I thought that would have been such a cool fight to see because Randy had such like a cerebral, like problem-solving approach to MMA. Though most of the time his result was, let's get the guy against the cage and do some fucking dirty boxing. But like a version of Randy that was just a little bit younger against Machida, I thought it would have been so goddamn cool. So that's one. I know it's kind of random. Another one, Marcus, um, was a rematch of something that happened in Pride. And I think we danced around it a few times in the UFC. Was Quentin Jackson versus Shogun Hua 2, the rematch. Because the first matchup, Marcus, if I'm not mistaken, there was like, Quentin got his ass whooped. But Quentin also was like, said he was like, he had a broken something going into it. Like, Quentin didn't look like he was even all there, quite frankly. Uh, he got his ass whooped by Shogun. And there was a point there where Shogun was champion and Quentin was a contender or Quentin was champion and Shogun was in the UFC where it looked like we were going to get that rematch. And Rampage kept talking about wanting that rematch. And it never happened. And that was one, Marcus, I really felt we like, that would have been cool. Just like, there was a point where they were both in UFC, still young and still like kind of at their, maybe not their, peak peak with Shogun necessarily but both championship level fighters I thought that rematch would have been a great great one to see yeah no you're right yeah they it was definitely kind of talked about and it was something that a lot of people were excited about and just yeah it just never came to be right they just each of them would lose a fight before because I think when Rampage got the belt that's when Shogun went to the UFC and he had to fight their old nemesis, Forrest Griffin, who made him both look like Joe. Oh, that was the thing. Yeah, that four because Forrest got the title shot against he Quentin after that. You're right. He took the belt, so it kind that of that would have been. Yeah. There was, yeah, they really wanted it. <laughs> um, go ahead, Marcus. 
Yeah, um, I have a handful. I was glad none of you took them because uh, they, they seem fairly obvious to me. Uh, when you brought up Randy, one of the fights that people always talked about was him and Fedor. Um, never really came to be. Um, they literally, the first EA, you have uh, not UFC game, MMA game, was built, basically built around those two guys being in it and be like, oh, man, you can make your dream matchups happen in this game. Um, another one with Fedor was Brock. Um, I think both those fights are interesting because I think they're both competitive. Um, in the Brock fight, it seems pretty obvious that the whole game plan, like all his fights, would be, you know, get the guy to the ground. Um, but I think it's an interesting factor to know that, you know, Fedor had that dynamite right straight. And we know back when Brock was really active, he didn't really take a punch well. So it would have been interesting to see if Brock would have been able to get him down. Would you have taken Fedor, him. Marcus? What's that? Would you have taken Fedor? I, I guess it kind of depends on where in the career, right? If this was like before he lost to Verdum, probably just because he was riding so high as being unstoppable. Um, and it also depends like when, when is it with Brock? You know, is it after he, he lost to Frank Mir and it just seemed like, you know, maybe he wasn't, he didn't quite have the technical ability to hang with these guys. I mean, it, it, a lot of that d depends. I think right now, if they fight now, it's just like, oh, Brock's going to smatter this dude. He's going to ground See, and pound him. For me, day. Marcus, on that, I mean, I know you have more, but for me, that one, the matchup for me, it was like, not, it wasn't so much the, I wasn't sure. For the long, I mean, we talked about this fight a bunch. Everybody did. There was a bunch of rumors they're trying to put it in Cowboy Stadium, but um, after Fedor got his ass whooped by Bigfoot, that was the one where I'm like, oh, Brock would just sit on top of Fedor and beat his ass. Yeah, the, that was the that was one that was what did it for me. Fedor lost the first time the shine was kind of gone. But like, oh, Verdum's really good at the ground. He made a mistake, and then yeah, I think. The fights after that, Bigfoot and then Dan Henderson was just like, yeah, this guy's just lost a step. He can't compete at this high level. And at that point, yeah, that fight is null and void. I mean, same thing with kind of Randy. I mean, I guess the Randy fight is a little bit more interesting because he doesn't have the kind of power that he puts guys away with. So that could still be interesting. Um, I had a couple other ones, too. Um, these are real, real deep cuts. Um, I was really anticipating when Alistar was going through the Grand Prix of K1, um, seeing how he would match up with Shemi Schilt. Um, who was, I think at the time he was undefeated in K1. Um, Peter Arts was just Shemi's foil. He was like, he had the perfect kind of style and natural ability to be a tall, lengthy guy, just like Shemi was. That Schilt just, he could never really piece it together for uh, to beat Arts. And then it was almost the exact opposite with Arts and uh, Alistair Overing, right? Like, Ar he just had uh, Peter Arts's number that night, especially after the tough fight he had with Shemi. So I always, I was always really interested to see how those two guys would have come at each other, um, just because they have very different styles. Um, and I was always intrigued by what potentially could have been. And another one, and I think you could put either of these guys in with a bunch of others because they, they kind of left the sport. I don't know if early is the right call, but they left the sport, and there was a lot of matchups that they, they could have done with both these guys. And it was one of the things that when – when I think it was in Pride 3, Boss Rutten uh, entered the Pride ring and he challenged uh, Hicks and Gracie. And a lot of people were at that time. It was very popular in the numbered Prides for them to come out with some guy and be like, yeah, I want to fight Hickson. That's when he was still quasi-active in Pride. He fought Taka, uh, uh, Tanaka twice. Um, but Rutten and uh, Hicks and Gracie would have been a really the interesting fight to see. Boss would have killed him. I mean, maybe. Um, cause, I mean, I, mean, I know Hickson I know Hickson's like a 900 or no. But I think Boss would have caused real problems. You can, problems you can look at their – you can do some MMA math and, and point at that being like, mm, maybe not the case because um, Hickson did fight um, uh, Masaku. He was one of the Pancrase guys that, that Boss lost to, and he was one of the top Pancrase guys, and Hickson did beat him. So, I mean, yeah, you would think that the stand-up he just wouldn't be able to. But, I mean, 
boss was pretty green on the ground. I mean, so if it hit the ground, it would have been interesting. But that, that was always one that seemed really cool on paper that, you know, Hickson just didn't really stay active after his first couple pride fights. So, yeah, a couple fun fights that, you know, could have been really interesting if we ever got them. Um, Mike, I think I know what you're going to say. I've been looking forward to this since we started this segment. Yeah, so. I don't have as many as you guys do, but um, I think for me, one fight that, much like yours, Bobby, it did end up happening, but by the time it happened, um, it was, well, it was essentially a pretty big letdown. So back in the summer or spring of 2010, the Ultimate Fighter Heavyweights came out, which I still contend was one of the best seasons, as we've I mean, said Mike, many times before, not because I mean, of we the also Mike, this also that 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 TV show is the reason you're an MMA fan today. Let's be honest; that's what got you in. That, that yeah, one, yeah, I pretty much for. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I forced it on you, but you, I mean, you were gonna end up watching either way. But that that season did it for you. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and it was the uh, it was the interactions between the two coaches, Quentin Rampage Jackson and Rashad Sugar Evans. Um, they seem to have genuine, not just dislike but hate for each other. And they were making me laugh while doing it. And um, I've never seen two people just hype a fight just like that. Just very effortlessly. It didn't look like any of it was staged. It didn't look like they really had to try any harder for any of it. Um, you know, you had that. You had when uh, when Rampage beat uh, Rashad's boy, Keith Jardine. And he just yells into the mic, there's going to be some black on black crime. And, you know, those things, they just hyped you up for the fight. And I remember when the fight was finally going to happen. If I'm right, Rash was Rashad still champion at the time? No, because I remember because Rampage made fun of Rashad for getting knocked out by Machida. Okay, so he was not champion by that. No, it was like Quentin hadn't fought in like a year. He was coming off the A-team. <laughs> so when they first booked the fight, I remember that the, uh, the promos at the time, they... They had a lot of that bad blood, a lot of things from tough. The, they had the it's go, there's going to be some black on black crime, I think, in the promo. And then for one reason or another, one person got hurt, and then something else happened with one other person. And by the time the fight happened, maybe what a year and a half later, maybe two yeah. years later, um, it, it just wasn't a good fight. I mean, they still they sold a million pay-per-views still, which makes you wonder if they done it at the peak of everybody's excitement, what they would have done. Because I remember that. I remember they did like a – maybe it was a countdown. I don't know if it was a countdown or a primetime. But the end of the countdown was Rampage hitting mitts, and he just kept throwing the right hand yelling, he's dead. Like, pow, he's dead. Pow, he's dead. And I'll be like, oh, my God, Quentin's going to kill him. Oh my god! And then, like, I, just want to chime in. I think Mike is talking to me. this. Is actually going to be a recommendation for a different memoir, but it's kind of covering the ground now. Is um, if we're talking about best the great fights that never were, I was going to talk about the most disappointing fights that were that did happen. The ones oh, that god. you know we oh, were god. so excited about. But oh god! The, god. The, the reason I'm nominating this one. The reason I'm nominating this one is because the actual fight was disappointing. But I do think if the fight had happened when it was supposed to happen, both of them were still pretty healthy. I think by the time they did fight, they were both pretty broken. Um, they were both already on, on the downcline of their careers. I think when the fight was going to happen, they were still relatively still in their primes. They were still 
relatively pretty healthy. I think we would have seen a much better fight then. So I think we missed the opportunity to actually see the fight that we were promised. You know what, Stefan? You're making a good point about one we can do, and that one, I got one fucking start on that one. That might be, that's going to be a yeah, miserable. Yeah, that's, say that for next week. Before we put, could I be professor for a second? And 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 give Doc points for Bobby. White man in this group. Yeah, go ahead. This, this the the subject. Like you guys filled out this good book report, and it's all well done, and it's well fact. But the premise was best fights that never were, and you guys both picked fights that. Hey, never I, 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 I picked a rematch that didn't happen. But you and the other one, Bobby, you picked. You wish you could go further back in time and somehow get. Leo you know what, man? Uh, you know, look, I man, I, li- I listened to the same podcast that Stefan did. I could have brought up Fade versus Randy Couture like they did on that podcast, oh, so I didn't but see I podcast. didn't. I wasn't see, there we go. There was a lot of ones that, like, look, should I? I mean, John Jones, Alexander Gustafson, too. I guess it happened the first time. It Second did. one's not going to happen. I don't know. They brought up. I mean, what what was the one, Steph? That they- uh, professor slash DJ Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, Whenever you're given an essay assignment and they give you a question, if you can re- remix it up or switch it up on them in your essay answer, you get extra credit for that. But or sometimes you, you don't, you don't and you answer the question. And did not follow instructions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I think you guys get the book report where it's like you would have got a B plus, but you're getting a B minus because you, you missed the premise a little bit. It was still good. You did good work, but you didn't answer that main question. Fine, got, rampage. Fine. You know what? Fine, rampage. Rampage versus titties from tough. Oh. That didn't happen. <laughs> that was what I was sure you were gonna say, Mike. By the way, I was positive you were gonna say rampage versus uh, scoot over. His no, fucking titties. Rampage versus the poor kid he named titties. He nicknamed titties <laughs> on the Ultimate Fighter. That is the one. Fan, that was a real fat Neil moment. He just never got to live that one down. Oh God! And then he—I remember he showed up at the. Uh, he, he had a fight on the tough finale, and I want to say it was against. Actually, I don't remember. I thought it was against Marcus Jones, but I just remember he was—he saw—he looked bigger, like he looked even bigger, and I'm like, oh geez, I really hope you win, kid. And then he didn't, and then he lost like five more fights, and he's still trying to fight Quentin. I got one I just wanted to mention as a uh, a dishonorable mention, um, but Mark kind of reminded me when he mentioned uh, Alistair in the K1 sense. Uh, now, the reason I want this is not because of any quality reason in what the fight might have looked like, but um, in today's very meme-heavy culture, there's a commonality you see in comment threads when you want to bash an athlete in any sport, and that is that most famous athletes at some point have a moment in their career where they fucked up and they can't live it down. You know, uh, Jameis Winston, for one, is his Rose Bowl loss against my Oregon Ducks, where he spins ass backwards 20 feet and throws the ball into a backwards fumble, which causes the ref to fall down, and then a subsequent touchdown return. Brock Lesnar has his spinning on the disco dance floor from when Kane punched him into another decade of dance moves. Um so for this, I just simply wish it existed for the meme footage that we could be posting nowadays, and that would be the boxing match between Tito Ortiz and Dana White that never was. Um, just to have footage of Dana being punched in the face and presumably not being very good at it, for all these times I've hated or been upset at Dana, I would love it if someone just had in the comment section just post that gift no caption necessary, no comment necessary. Here's Dana just getting punched in the face. I mean, we have the gif of Nate Diaz slapping him in the face. 
It's that not quite a, as good. It's just a slap is disrespectful. A punch that they just can't handle. That that stings a bit more. Man, I, by the way, I'm going to stand by this. I still think the EA UFC thing would have been funniest for me if Dana had the second worst striking in the division, and they put Tito in the game just and made his striking one less than Dana. I think that would have been fun just to see what Tito would have said on social media. And if anybody could understand the sentence he would have constructed, that would have been fun for me at least. Rather than Dana being, I saw, I mean, I hope people saw the gif of him like slipping a head kick from John Jones and hitting him with an uppercut. That was my favorite one. <laughs> He's too good in the game. Do any of you guys own this game, by the way? I do. That says something, man. I've seen it as high as sixty percent off, and I wasn't even a little tempted to add that to my. Dude, show. I'm in for I'm in for twenty bucks. That's it. Yeah, that seems fair. <laughs> twenty bucks, okay? Because I don't even I don't even have the old ones. I can't play any MMA game. You can't scratch that itch. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. There's no itch. Oh, <laughs> there's too much itch, MMA. <laughs> I don't get the itch when there's fucking thirty fights a week. <laughs> um. Oh, by the way, from a few weeks ago. When I was pointing out Bellator's nonsense with Krokop, I don't want you guys to worry because the guy who's in charge of regulating in this event said he's going to drug test Krokop. And don't worry, guys. He told Krokop what day he's going to be there, too. So that's Have you that's the you're that is the, that is the that is the he's like, I'll be there, man. I'm going to take the train. It's like, OK, Krokop, if, if you can manage to fuck this up. Uh, on tangential, but it's because it's kind of uh, just a mirror image. Um, I imagine you guys, to some extent, have p paid attention to all that Cambridge Analytica stuff, and then mm -hmm. how they dated the uh, search warrant, and how the day before, troves and troves of boxes and files were just being carried out of the building. Oh yeah, that was so, that was impressive. Uh, mm -hmm. Crow Cop, you have your model of success. Go. Yeah, I, so, this is not that hard, Crow Cop. Don't fuck this up. Um, all right. The fuck's that smell? Sorry. Um, let's do stuff we like. Uh, Mike, you go first. Uh, you know, it's been a pretty light week for me this week. Your internet's also failing us miserably. Uh, right uh, Mike, it's way too choppy. Uh, Stop. Uh, Mike, it's way too choppy. Stop talking. Mike, stop talking. It's choppy as hell. <laughs> oh, God damn it. You know what Mike's got to look forward to? He's got a great chicken that he's been cooking during this podcast. <laughs> and I, for one, hope he enjoys it because chicken is delicious. I mean, it's pre-marinated, pre too. So, I mean, it's all it's good to go. It's got the seasoning already on there. Probably, Bobby, on both sides, too. I'm guessing. On both sides. Blow yeah. fucking... So is Asian Northcutt's mine. It, 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 it does, and I actually was I actually finished cooking it uh, maybe about 20 minutes ago. Oh, so, so it's just getting cold. I appreciate you guys worrying about my chicken. Do you know what we're going to do, guys? We're going to create a Patreon, and all the, 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 the first tier, all the money is going to go to pay for Mike that better internet, but Mike is going to be responsible for all the prizes at the <laughs> tier <laughs> levels, too. So Real Mike's going to be in charge of this whole thing. I was day. thinking... Why don't we start a Patreon and then at least all of us can be like the $5 donors that pays off the bill. And maybe, you know, if any of you listen to this and want to throw a dollar, like, believe me, we're not making any profit off this. It's just literally going to pay for what our hosting bullshit, our hosting and our uh, yearly website fee. And like, if which... we ever get enough money to buy 
to help Mike's Comcast bill get the next year up. So, and guess what? It's not only Mike that gets it. His whole goddamn family benefits. <laughs> I think this is the way to go, man. You know, I tried I tried convincing my father to switch to, to Verizon Files. I tried really hard, guys. He wasn't having it. Do you know how I got my parents to change to DirecTV, Mike? I ordered DirecTV and just booked an installation. It was way too hard to get rid of what was already in there. It's the way to go. Um, Mike has got nothing for stuff we like. Um, I don't got shit either, quite frankly. I just want to – you know what? I'm going to leave something. I'm going to wait till the end to say something so people don't turn it off now. Mike, you're off the hook. Stefan, what do you got? <laughs> um, yeah, I kind of mentioned to Bob when we were just chatting. Um, there was a YouTube channel I've been watching a ton the last couple weeks um, that I was really into, and I recommend. Um, it's kind of trip down nostalgia. The guy's editing is great, and I think his humor is really good. Um, it's a YouTube channel called Todd in the Shadows. And um, he kind of just does these music critiques. And uh, it looks like, from what I can surmise, his original YouTube channel was deleted and he kind of had to do massive re-uploads. That's why everything has seems to have been uploaded in the last two years. But he'll do like a best, the 10 best hit songs of 2010, but then he'll do the 10 worst hit songs of 2010, you know? And he kind of does that throughout. And again, I think his editing is great. He never just counts it down. He kind of does a setup where like he talks about other genres, similar artists, and like a lot of his comments, I kind of actually learn about the history of music, you know? Like for example, he was talking about how there was this producer who worked with Amy Winehouse, created this very retro sound, you know, and like, oh wow, that was really good. You know, Amy Winehouse, of course, tragically passed away. And he kind of like, man, this guy was such a great producer. I wonder who else can have this vintage vibe and pull off these these hits like and actually continue this guy's legacy and boom his number one hit for 2014 was a uh, 24 karat gold with bruno mars because he was talking about a guy named mark ronson mark ronson helped produce the, that kind of classic sound and you know when bruno mars came with it look where he is now he's a superstar as a stratosphere so it's a i love the nostalgia road of going through these hits and then yeah like i kind of like learn like historical musical information from some of the stuff he talks about and now i love his 10 worst hits because that's also the case. There's songs you hear on the radio and you're like, I fucking hate this song. I want to turn the channel instantly, but it's playing on four radio stations. I cannot wait till this is no longer a hit song. Um, what what songs like, were on there? Birthday Sex. Do you remember when Eddie used to make us go out with him and that shit was on? That was a terrible song. That was a hate terrible it. song. Uh, so, you know, it, it's funny. It'll be you'll have a year where Katy Perry is on the worst hit song and you'll have a year where Katy Perry is on the best hit song because catchy is catchy you know i appreciate him because he's not totally a music snob he hey pop music is pop music because it's popular because it's catchy it's likable he sees the value in that but then there's ones that are just bad and so uh i i've liked going through the list because again they're kind of a nostalgia it kind of reminds me of songs i liked like um you know black eyed peas were terrible for a while but they i remember oh yeah they had a hit song called meet me halfway and i'm like oh yeah i really liked that song among their library of a bunch of things I didn't. So, um, yeah, you know, in a world where it's tough to find newer music I like, it's kind of, it's just been fun going through these countdowns and kind of reminiscing about music I did and didn't like over the last decade. Um, yeah, I think it's a cool channel. Um, I think it's worth checking out. It's such an easy thing to have on in the background. And yeah, you know, just take a trip down that memory lane. When it comes to Katy Perry, really liked Roar. 
Wouldn't be surprised if E.T. was on the worst. I hated that song. I don't know what that is. That was her song with Kanye West. I don't even remember that fucking happened. Shit. Um, Mike. Not Mike. Marcus, what do you got? Uh, yeah, I got a, a handful of things. And uh, first, I want to start off with talking about a couple of games that came out last week that I mentioned that I got to play and we heard some more stuff about. So um, I actually got to put a couple hours of uh, a way out. Uh, I played it with my fiance, Christine. And I have to say, you know, I had really high expectations for the game. I talked about it last week that of the games coming out last week, I was anticipating it the most. Um, I was really infatuated with their previous work, uh, Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons. Um, I knew they could do really good stuff, so I, you know, I was really anticipating a really interesting experience. And what I will say is that overall, I do really enjoy the game. I think I don't know if it quite met my lofty expectations because my criticism so far, you know, having played maybe two to three hours, I think it's like a five to six hour game, so I might be around the halfway mark at this point. Um, the beginning starts off a little rough. Um, it definitely takes a little while to get into the game i think the writing and the voice acting is a little sketchy at times it's not the strongest aspect of the game i do feel that the first hour wasn't nearly as strong as the second and third that i played i think the game does build upon itself and it gets better as we progress and i know the last couple hours that um we've played i've really enjoyed and it's kind of in its groove now and I'm having a lot more fun with it than I was in that first hour. Again, this is a, a co-op game that only one person needs to actually have owned to play with someone else. You can play local co-op or you actually play online with someone else. The other person does not need to own the game to be able to play it with you, which is a really cool feature. Um, and I would say that I, I would say that, you know, if you're interested in a way out and you end up, you know, playing the game, just realize that the it, it, I think it starts off a little slow. It starts off a little rough and it gets better over time as the characters start to develop more. And I think the scenarios that you play through um, get more interesting and a little bit more complex. And there's more things that you can do with the two characters playing at once. Um, the other game that came out last week, Nino Kuni 2, I haven't put any time in yet, so I can't really comment on. And while I haven't played Sea of Thieves, um, the general consensus is that it does a lot of things really interesting and really well. Like I mentioned last week, sailing a boat with four people, having to communicate with each other to be able to successfully do that is a really interesting thing. I think there's lots of small little nuances to the game that they really nail, but apparently the quest that you're doing and the, um, the gameplay loop of doing these quests, returning them in, and what you're rewarded with just isn't very satisfying. You do event, you can you get more gold to buy new gear, but the gear is just cosmetic. Um, so I think a lot of people are a little not, not frustrated or let down, but maybe it didn't meet a lot of expectations where people were hoping for you know their grand pirate fantasies to come to fruition and to be the ultimate pirate game. I think it hits on some of those notes, but definitely drops off with quests that you're kind of doing over and over again, being kind of uh, repetitive and redundant, and then the rewards you're getting out of that not being maybe necessarily worthy of the time that you're putting into it, even though I think the draw of that game is really just communicating with four people to sail a boat across the seas and be able to navigate to each other. And I think a lot of the fun you get out of the game is kind of being in that space and kind of role-playing being as a pirate. Um, if you're playing it solo or you're just not super into that kind of stuff, the game might kind of fall flat for you. Um, but mentioning new stuff uh, this week, Fallout, uh, not Fallout, uh, Far Cry 5 comes out. I'm really anticipating that. Uh, reviews came out today. It seems to be, you know, from what I've seen in reviews, positive, but more kind of of the same. If you played Far Cry 3 and 4, I think you kind of know what to expect coming into this one. Um, and then also the show is coming out this week. It's 
the best MLB game. It's the only MLB game, so and it only comes out on PlayStation 4. So if that's kind of your jam, I'm sure you're super excited for it. Um, if you have a PS4 and just are interested in picking up a baseball game, if you have that kind of itch, um, you know, the show is a great series. Uh, don't know much about this year's edition and what it does against other years to make it, you know, better or worse. But it's new. It's good. Um, you know, if you have that itch, check it out. Um, but I guess mainly what I wanted to focus on and kind of something that maybe we can all chime in on um, this afternoon, I took what may or may not be my last pilgrimage to um, Toys R Us. And I know as a kid, Toys R Us meant a lot to me. I know for a long time, and it's, it's still to this point, I took that oh seriously. I'm a Toys R Us kid. I don't want to grow up. I feel I've done a good job not growing up, you know, you know, staying true to the oath. And going into there now, it's, it's much what you expect, you know, from a fledgling business that has kind of been fledgling for a long time. Um, they haven't been able to really adapt to the market. And it was really interesting. I, I saw something on uh, online or on Facebook or something where someone kind of broke down some of the missteps that Toys R Us took. And I didn't know this about them. I guess in the early 2000s, they actually hired Amazon to do a lot of their shipping for them. And that kind of got Amazon the footing to kind of deal with like high volume online ordering. And it kind of led into you know how we see Amazon today with Prime with two-day shipping them kind of dealing with Toys R Us kind of got them in that space. And it also got people into the habit of looking online for toys and buying toys online instead of going to the store. But, you know, going to Toys R Us today, it was a very somber experience. Um, as you could imagine, Toys R Us and all toy stores are kind of a shit show when you go in there. I mean, you have to imagine a store that is made for children to pick things up in one aisle, run across the store, drop them on the floor because mom says no. You know, the stores are always kind of a mess, but, um, you know, at this rate where they're all closing and uh, things are really getting picked through, it was just, it was very somber. And, you know, I, I took extra time just to kind of walk around because I know as a kid, it was really, you know, an experience. You know, I think as a child, you end up going on a lot of errands with your parents that are not for you, right? You go into the grocery store, you go to Target, you know, there's aisles in there that as a kid, you know, pique your interest, maybe a magazine section or a toy section. But to go to a store that was all toys for kids was always a special experience. And, you know, being 90s kids, the store has changed a lot. And one of the, you know, the thing I literally talk about every week is video games. And it was a very special thing to go to a Toys R Us and check out video games in the early 90s because they had a particular way that you would actually get to look at the games, right? Yeah, they the didn't card, have the yeah, box card slip. Yeah, you, you didn't have a box that you could check out. They basically had laminated uh, pictures of the box art and you can flip it on top and you get to see the back of the box. And then like Stefan said, if you were to purchase a game, they had paper slips. You would grab the slip, you would go to the counter, you would pay for the game, and then you would go to a special place in the kind of the front e exit of the store it was basically a giant gated box and you would wait for some dude he was never up there so you had to wait for five minutes for this dude to climb out of the back you know probably i mean honestly it's probably teenagers getting high in the back and just not noticing that people are waiting to get their games out but you give him the slip he has to go in the back and get your game and it was just it, it was a very unique experience it was something that always resonated with me as a kid and i mean even beyond that i mean obviously action figures were there um and even like they had a huge section with bikes and they had the power wheels and just going there as a kid there were so many things that would draw your eye and get you excited and regardless of what you would ultimately come away with if you were lucky enough to you know have parents that had the income to 
be able to buy you toys at Toys R Us. There was always something that you saw there like, oh man, I really, you know, maybe for Christmas, that's something I could wish for. And it just, um, it was a happy place to go to, you know? And, and, and I always remember being a kid in the 90s, it seemed like, and it's probably still the case today, but a lot of things just seemed geared towards kids a lot more. It seemed like advertisers kind of got into the notion that like, yeah, we should really push stuff for kids because they'll whine to their parents and get them to buy it. And it just seemed like, you know, with Nickelodeon and with SNCC and Cartoon Network and Disney Channel, there was a lot of things just targeted directly towards us that I know for me made my childhood really um, special and magical. And I get nostalgic for that stuff. So walking through the Toys R Us today um, well, it was a very somber experience because it, it, it's hard to think that they're not going to be around anymore. And like I was saying, you know, our child childhood was so special that we had these things catered to us. It's kind of sad to think that there's not going to be a world where you could take your small child in to a giant toy store and just be like, yeah, run around. You know, that's kind of what the store was for. Like, just let your kids go fucking ape shit, run around, throw shit around, just have fun in there. I mean, I remember I seeing mean, kids. I remember, uh, I think it was through Nickelodeon. Like it would, I can't remember the, the circumstance you had to do to win the sweepstakes, the but it was like every Holy kid's shit. dream was that kid gets 10 minutes and shopping carts and they just run through Toys R Us and whatever they can cram into that shopping cart. That was the childhood lottery. Dude, me, me and my little brother used to talk about a strategy if we ever won that. <laughs> yeah, like that was the thing as a kid. Like, oh man, if I had that cart. It's like, what are you going for first? And it's like, I'm going to get all the slips for the bikes. Bikes are worth so much money. I'm going to get all the slips for the, for the uh, video games. They don't take space. And then you go to the action figures. Then you get that G.I. Joe base. Then you get that, like, WWF ring. But, yeah, man, Toys R Us. It was amazing. I think, it, you know, it's it's easy to understand it's failing just due to the modern internet world. You know, it's, it's kind of the pros and cons of the internet age, right? Is having information at our fingertips makes us simultaneously excited for everything and excited for nothing. You know, I know what's coming out. I know when it's coming out. I know what date it's coming out. I know every variation of a product that will be released on that date, but... When you went to Toys R Us as a kid, you didn't know, oh, there's a new line of G.I. Joes. Oh, the new Power Rangers are out. Like, you have to turn to the back of the box to see what other figures are coming in this lineup. Like, it was an adventure. So, like, when I, I used to buy those X-Men figures, I remember the first time, like, they made an X-Men or an uh, Iceman action figure. And if you put him in the freezer, he changed colors because he would become all icy and blue. Like, that was such a big deal. Like, you know, kind of Mark was saying, it was an adventure because... Not only did you want something, you were going to be odd. You were going to learn something. You were going to see something you didn't know was there. Or you were going to see on the box something was coming that you were really looking forward to. Um, and yeah, you know, in the internet age when all information is at your fingertips, like that type of stuff just doesn't do it for you like it did for you in our childhood days. Um, and that's kind of the sad thing about that. You know, that's a that was such a fun feeling that you had as a kid and. Hopefully, I don't, I don't know what kids do nowadays. Hopefully, they have something that still gives them that same joy. I don't feel like the next new iPad edition really gets my niece and nephew that excited. So, Yeah, you know, I think for sure this is something that's been just, you know, like with a lot of big box stores, it's, inev it's been inevitable. Um, I remember when the news came out last week, uh, me and uh, the people that, you know, we, I was talking to, we were regaling our, each other with stories of going through the stores and how fun it would be. And um, I remember after a few people told stories, I told my story and then I kind of stopped and I asked the people, hey, wait a second. 
all these times you guys went to Toys R Us because it was so fun. How often did you guys actually buy toys over there? And none of them, none of them said they ever really bought toys. Or, so Toys R Us. It was always very fun to go, but they rarely ever bought toys over there. And then I started thinking about my own nephews and nieces, um, in particular the the two youngest ones. Um, I remember from the time they were two and four years old, um, which wasn't too long ago. It was maybe six, six eight years ago at this point. Uh, I have rarely ever seen them actually play with a physical toy. Everything has been on their mother's iPhone or on an iPad. Uh, I really don't know how often children play with actual physical toys now. Uh, I don't. I don't know how often they actually use their imaginations to, you know, pretend that they're in a waterfall setting. You know, when they're actually just in their showers, naked with their Ninja Turtles. Um, and I think <laughs> took a weird turn. Like, yeah, I was gonna say, I, 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 yeah, that took a turn right there. I was just like, well, what's going on here? Never, the sentiment's yeah, great. You guys keep never going, keep going. toys into the shower. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I as playing with toys in the bathtub, not refer to it as being naked with your Ninja Turtles. There's a different. There's a. It's a verbiage. It was great. It was a perfect Mike thing. He sent up this like perfect scenario. And it's like, Ori, now, now I'm thinking about a naked kid, Mike. Dude, get that out of there. That's almost. <laughs> I love it. I love it, Mike. Oh god damn it! No, I, no it, it's it's so true though. Like all the little kid, and I don't know a lot of like you know I don't have a lot of nieces and nephews, but yeah, I think Mike's totally right. Something I didn't really think about. I don't. Kids don't really play with toys that often, especially when they get in that age. It seems like. Really young kids where the parents are kind of like, yeah, they're too young to be throwing an iPad in front of them. They'll still play with toys. Like I do have a niece that is like two years old and she plays with a troll doll. And by play, I mean she holds on to it and she like wags it around every now and then. But yeah, all the really small kids I know that are like four or five. Yeah, they, they have an iPad and that's where they get their entertainment from. And it's really it is sad, Mike, because like. Not only did I play it with toys, like I still kind of play with toys. Like I, I, I went to Toys R Us today. I bought shit. I bought action figures and shit. Like I wasn't going there not getting shit. Most of the time, I just put them on shelves and that's where they sit. But I, I mean, mean Marcus, I, you're I also on Amazon. There's like you're, there's a twenty. I was gonna Avengers action figure set, and I'm like, that looks pretty cool. I might pick that up. I mean, Marcus, you're like an anomaly, though, man. You still buy like physical media and like yeah, I mean, physical yeah, I guess, books. Like, and stuff. Yeah, hand, but we grew up with the as the toy action figure generation, and it's like they just kept selling to us. They just have you seen how much an action figure costs now? It's like twenty five dollars. Twenty five dollars. It was ridiculous. Four ninety nine as a kid, and I understand inflation. But that shit was accessible. You had a bunch of them. I remember when Mark moved in with me, um, my mom was clearing out her storage. And she had a bin of my old action figures. And my mom didn't want to hold on to it anymore. But she didn't want to throw them away. So she gave them to me. And I remember Mark looking through them. And like he was like, oh, shit, I had this. Or, oh, I wanted this one. This one was great. Man, you're, those DBZ action figures are still choice like i still want to get some of those like krillin you have oh man i like oh that man you say that uh my uh my little bulldog lumpia as a puppy she ate my krillin action figure no that oh, was krillin dies again but that's very realistic because krillin was always meant to die he's weak he's low tier but yeah toys r us and it was just like 
the music they were playing in the store was just like it was so somber like they had like the songs that they were playing like i listened to the lyrics like i didn't recognize the songs but like the tone they have is so like melancholy like somber and one of them was like an rem song just to give you kind of in that headspace it wasn't like a million it wasn't that like a donnie darko song but it all their songs are kind of like sad in a way and sitting in like the cashier line waiting for like these kids that are about to lose their job and this childhood franchise that i've grown and loved with and literally their theme song would always pop into my head every now and then it's just it, it was it was it was a sad experience at the same time though it's like the store is a shit show you know like you walk around there and you're not wondering like man how did why didn't this work out in 2018 you're like I know exactly why this shit didn't work out in 2018. They haven't changed a goddamn thing in the last 20 years, but um, but it's still sad to see it go. So just want to bring that up. Um, man, I honestly like it was like I was like, oh, we're, we're, this podcast is gonna be like 54, 55 minutes, and then Mark went on a 15 minute rant about Toys R Us. I'm sorry, dude. And here we are. I I didn't see that coming. Um, we back next week where we're I think we're gonna be able to actually preview this fight card, huh? Yep, this is a good we, one. We, we oh god, I'm excited. We, I'm actually we put excited. that one in the oven for a while, and we got a nice, tasty treat out. Ooh, of it. it's gonna be a good one. Um, so it's gonna be it this week. I'm gonna end with this because, well, I didn't want people to turn it off earlier. Um, everybody knows what happened this past Saturday with all the kids. Um, at the March for Your Lives, March for Our Lives, I guess it was called. Um, I think we've previously mentioned how much we enjoy watching these kids dunk on the NRA on Twitter. Um, I'm just honestly in awe of all these kids who put this together. Just, just like, um, I saw, I was watching when, um, one of the girls was giving a speech. Um, I think her name is, let me look this up, Samantha Fuentes. And like, she was giving a speech and then she got emotional and she threw up. Like she just threw up. Right. And it was like a million people in the mall in DC, and then, like, she kind of recovered, and then she just said, I just threw up on national TV, and I feel great. And I was like, wow, these kids are great. And um, that girl with the shaved head or the buzzed head, if we want to just put her in charge, like, I'm cool with it. She looks like she can handle it. Like, <laughs> she looks like she's got a firm grasp on this situation, man. I'm cool with it, man. I got a bunch of kids right here who... um. Watch that episode of South Park where they said, oh, voting is just picking between a douche and a turd. And these kids are like, fuck that. No, it's not. So, um, yeah, I'm just honestly impressed with all those kids. And um, if you're attacking a 17-year-old on Twitter, you got to so really dumb. rethink your – if you're like a senator or a congressman, you got to – come on, guys. Yeah. I saw a bunch of people – a bunch of people made a fake – they have they, like, they made a – they photoshopped an image of the – um, buzzed hair girl Emma Gonzalez. She tore apart a uh, a shooting target, like a paper target, you know, yeah. that are like fifty cents. And someone turned it into the Constitution and said she tore up a Constitution. And a bunch of right wing Russian also, bots uh, are spreading that. They also just, darkened their they also darkened their skin, uh, flattened her head a bit to make her look less feminine as well. Oh, good call, man. There you go. That's the way you do it. I mean, um, one guy, she was one guy up the Constitution is like, you were in a school shooting. You kind of get free pass as far as I'm concerned. When someone tried to kill you with a gun when you're at your fucking algebra class, yeah, you might have some, I mean, the, you know, the, uh, when the, was it, the, the one who threw up, Samantha Fuentes, she still has, like, shrapnel in her face that they can't, like, there's, like, they can't take it out. Yeah. Like, it's too close to her eye. Like, 
these, these, these kids, kids are forever, forever Obi Wan. They got the high ground. Okay, don't be jumping. You're gonna be losing <laughs> limbs. All right, I want to end with that. That's fine. Um, I want you guys. Th- I want to thank you all for listening. Um, we'll be back next week. We're gonna preview this card. We didn't talk at all about all the nonsense that happened with Bellator today, because quite frankly, we don't care. Um, we'll be back next week. We'll preview this card. We'll um, we'll figure out if there's you know. We're going to pick Tony versus Khabib, which, God willing, still happens, um, along with uh, Rose and Joanna, which is going to be a fun fight to pick because I'm in my head right now. I think a bunch of us are going to pick the one who got knocked out in two minutes. <laughs> so um, we might have a repeat of the Aldo situation there. Um, thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. Peace out. Peace out.